Voice, the podcast for all Victorian allied health professionals, from physiotherapists to radiographers, occupational therapists to social workers. This is the podcast for you and all allied health disciplines. Allied health professionals can no longer remain the forgotten workforce. Welcome, VARPA members, to the VARPA Voice the podcast for allied health professionals in Victoria. This is your research and communications officer, Rick Davidson. And with me, I have Andrew Hewitt, the assistant secretary at VARPA and Sarah Hathaway, the lead organizer on our public sector um, bargaining campaign. And um, the bargaining campaign uh, this year has got a theme of respect, recognition and reward. Um, and Sarah, I was wondering if you might start off giving us a little bit of a background um, behind these themes. Yeah, sure. Hi, Rurik. Hi, everyone. Um, but yeah, the, the theme of respect, recognition, reward, uh, I think was something we were broadly thinking about before the Log of Claims survey went out to members. Um, but certainly the responses we got back from members broadly sort of reinforced the theme of respect is in respect for allied health as a profession and respect for allied health professionals as workers in the sector. Um, and hand in hand with that is recognition for the work that allied health professionals do. I'm sure all of us sat through the hundreds of presses from Dan Andrews and other parliamentary officials over the last 18 months where there has been a lot of respect and recognition given to nurses, doctors and paramedics, but not enough respect and recognition for allied health professionals. Um, and the last element of this is reward. Uh, you know, it largely came through on the survey in terms of, of wages and remuneration, but it's it's much broader than that. It's broader than wages. It's all the allowances that's being paid for the hours that allied health professionals are working um, and general entitlement. So I think that broadly encaptures where we're going with the campaign. I think there's one thing to add to that, Sarah, would be that we're trying to get recognition because allied health professionals are the forgotten workforce. And as you said, the recognition is there for the... Um, the other health professions, but too often allied health is forgotten about and left out of the equation. So from our point of view, that's a really important part of this campaign is to get the recognition um, and hopefully that will lead to the reward um, and get the respect that we deserve. One of the things you mentioned there, Sarah, was our recent member survey. And a number of issues came up in that survey from members that included workload and staffing, and included career progression, and included remuneration. How much of a surprise were, was it that, to see these issues um, come up from our members? Yeah, no, thankfully uh, not a surprise. Um, yeah, definitely not a surprise for the, for the organisers or, or the VARPA officials. Um, it's certainly, it's what we've been hearing 
from the ground all the way through COVID. And, you know, these were issues before COVID in terms of workload, career progression. Um, and I'd say particularly the workload and staffing issue is a problem that's been exacerbated by COVID. Um, but it was certainly an issue before in terms of, you know, excessive overtime, either paid or unpaid, short staffing, allied health professionals not being able to take their leave or access um, professional development, a whole range of things um, that has just progressively become more and more of an issue. So the fact that that was the top the top uh, problem that members pointed to, um, we certainly saw that coming. Um, as well as career progression, um, we hear all the time from members that they feel stuck, um, whether that's at the top of a grade one or um, largely at the top of a grade two. Um, and so that was definitely confirmed. I think from memory, there was a question in the survey um, along the lines of how long have you been at your particular grade level or at the top of your grade and I think on average the response was 10 years um, at the top of a grade but you know we've got some members that have been there for up to 20-25 years um, and that definitely needs to be improved upon um, and remuneration we we all know members know that bargaining time is the time to improve wages and remuneration so I don't think that was certainly not a surprise for us either. One of the issues that I um, draw from the survey responses that was actually quite alarming and it comes out of what you were saying Sarah about the the workload issues and the stress in the workplace was one of the questions that was posed about uh, how you feel in your workplace in terms of whether you're planning whether you want to leave your current employer whether you think about leaving the profession completely and we had an overwhelming response from members saying that up to 60 percent of them wanting to leave their current employer and over 30 percent uh, referencing that they're thinking about leaving the profession which is you know we've never seen numbers like that before and that's a direct reflection of how how bad the workplace environment currently is in terms of workload stress and, and pressure and that's as we as you said was a problem before COVID but COVID has, has exposed that and it's uh, amplified it significantly and so we're making that a real, a real focus for this campaign. I remember seeing those numbers, Andrew, when I was looking at the survey results and just the number of allied health professionals who were talking about leaving the profession or leaving their employers. It really struck you when you had a look at it. Did you want to talk a little bit about career progression and what our general attitude is towards it? What's our general kind of principles upon which we're sort of approaching the issue? I think it's been, as Sarah said, it's been an identified problem for some time. And it's, for us, it means something that we really need to work on. We did a lot of work in the previous enterprise agreement to improve the career structures. But that laid the foundations for where we are now. So we really need to, to build upon that. So there will be a, a significant focus through this enterprise bargaining process um, to, imp to improve the career progression. So this is something which I think will have um, its own podcast on, specifically on career progression at some point in the near future, along with a whole bunch of other um, podcasts. So keep an eye out for that. Just in terms of the actual bargaining, public sector bargaining, where are we at with it? Um, where are we in the schedule and the process? Um, can you give the members just an idea of what, what's going on? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, well, we've been 
bargaining. We've commenced the bargaining process with the VHIA. Um, so they're at the table representing the 80 plus public sector employers across the state. Um, and FARP has obviously been attending with our bargaining representative. So allied health professionals like yourselves who are listening in have been representing you at the table um, along with VARPA officials. Um, so far, we've been discussing the, the VHIA claims um, and there's certainly some, some interesting ones in there that VHIA are after in terms of allowances and that kind of thing. Um, but we're just getting to the point now of uh, getting ready to discuss our log and what we're after. Um, but I guess before we get to the good news, um, Andrew, if you wanted to touch on some of the things that VHIA are coming after. It, it's it's quite alarming given this you know, scenarios that we've been describing in terms of, you know, workloads and, and workplace stress for allied health professionals to think that the employees would be uh, even, I think it's remotely uh, acceptable to be trying to take away any conditions uh, and that's exactly what they're doing. They, you know, one of the examples was, you know, meal allowances. And this, talking about removing those in certain circumstances, um, you know, just you know, fundamental entitlements that have, we've, you know, that we've had for many years, um, and they think that this, that it's acceptable to uh, to be attacking those. And we and we see that as outrageous. Really, we just don't think that's acceptable. Um, from our point of view, we don't we. We can't accept going backwards. It has to be going forward. On that note, we've put together our own log of claims based on feedback and uh, information from our members. Would you like to talk a little bit about that log of claims? Um, I know it's gone out to members. Where is it at? Um, what's it got to say? Definitely. I think it's a pretty impressive list. Um, you know, I, I think I get we've gotten the impression from the employers and VHIA that they thought this round of bargaining might be a bit of tinkering around the edges and and maybe sending us backwards in, in some spots with a, a one and a half or two and a half if we're lucky pay rise. Um, but I think certainly that's not what we're after. We're going into this very ambitious. We're not here to tinker around the edges. We want to significantly improve our agreement. Um, and I think broadly it's about making allied health in the public sector an attractive career path. We want this to be an area where high school graduates want to go to uni and they want to study an allied health profession. And then when they graduate, they want to work in the public sector. If we don't, um, if we don't turn things around, certainly what we're hearing from members is that we're on a trajectory to possibly losing public sector allied health because people are walking out the door for all the reasons we've already touched on so um, I mean in terms of making things more attractive there's a whole raft of new paid leave entitlements improving existing leave um, I think two of the most popular ones that keep coming up in meetings with members is the five weeks of annual leave everyone's very keen for that um, as well as increasing personal leave entitlements um, there's all the, the issues around career structure, which we will touch on in more detail, um, as well as job security. I think that's a really important one too that has got a lot of traction with members, um, specifically around fixed-term contracts, which is becoming more of more and more of an issue. Um, you know, I think we're quite lucky 
in our sector that casualization isn't so much a thing that we need to deal with, but um, precarious work for us is fixed term contracts. And so we definitely will be aiming to tighten those up this round of bargaining. I, I think Sarah hit it on the head by saying that there's sort of an, been an expectation that potentially this will be a, a bit of a, a box ticking exercise and, you know, here's a bit of um, amendment to this clause and a, a bit of a change over here and, and here's your, um, your nominal pay rise and on you go. But for our, from us, it's a, an opportunity and an important opportunity to make significant changes. And if we don't make them now, then, you know, coming out of COVID, COVID's been a, you know, a, a trigger for so many changes and it's highlighted, you know, so many vulnerabilities and so many failings in the healthcare uh, setting. Uh, if we don't deal with some of those now, then we never will. And and as Sarah said, it's just, you know, it becomes a race to the bottom. So we see this as a really, you know, a really fundamental opportunity to to make significant changes in our agreement and and make significant changes that will benefit allied health professionals going forward and Im improve public health service services that are being delivered so it's you know it's really important for us really really important andrew you mentioned covid there and i was wondering how do you think we should think about covid in this context of um and uh, the public sector bargaining i mean people could make the argument that well everybody in society sacrificing and so allied health professionals will have to sacrifice as well i mean how should we think about it um and how should we think about the public sector bargaining in that context it's a good question i mean as you said you know covid changes everything changes the you know it's, it's changed the way we we live at the moment last year we we're actually uh the enterprise agreement expired in 2020 um but instead of going to bargaining then we opted to take a um, effectively a rollover enterprise agreement for 12 months um, largely you know at the request of the government but also in recognition of the the duress that our members were under and, and not wanting to uh, distract them when they were busy uh, you know during the the height of wave two in victoria which was was pretty horrendous so we we took a um a rollover package which actually uh ensured that our members got a 2.5% pay rise uh, ahead of when they would have got one otherwise. So that was, you know, from our point of view, it was a, it was a good outcome. But that brings us to this year and it's time to actually to, to deal with the agreement. So we're hoping, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed that we, we can keep the, the COVID situation under control. Um, that's that's always a big unknown, but it doesn't it doesn't change the, the need uh, for healthcare workers to still, you know, get a decent wage for a decent day's work. And, and ultimately that's what we're here for is, you know, as we said, our um, slogan, the respect, uh, recognition and reward, and the reward's an important part of that. And, you know, ideally, you know, um, we need to see advancement uh, and it's, and we shouldn't be going backwards just because there's a, um, you know, a, a worldwide pandemic, a, a, if anything, it's actually heightened the awareness of the importance of these roles. And if we, and Sarah said, if we don't make these these jobs attractive, then we're going to struggle to provide the services. And so we really need to um, to use these as drivers to to make the jobs attractive and to make them, you know, meaningful uh, meaningful employment and the respect, as we keep saying, um, will we'll flow with that. So yeah, 
if anything, COVID's a, it's a driver to to improve the conditions rather than a reason to to you know to to ignore them. So, Andrew, how's it looking in terms of wage outcomes and um, those sorts of things? Yeah, that's the, always the the sixty four million dollar question, isn't it? How, how much we're going to get back in terms of um, uh, pay rises, and that's become a really sticky sticky point for us because the state government has announced its updated wage policy, which is 1.5% per annum, which we think is totally outrageous. And and uh, we were saying before about how we took the rollover from last year, this year, you know, that was to the benefit of, of everybody really, because it, it, it took that off the table for the time being. Um, but we don't want to be see our members being penalised um, because of that and then being subjected to this new wage policy, which would mean that they would fall way behind all their, their other colleagues in health. So we see this, you know, 1.5% wage policy as being um, an, an arbitrary um, decision that, that just cannot apply to us. And so we'll have a, a you know, a significant um, quantum in our in our claim but it'll be well and above 1.5 percent and and we need to we need to see much better returns for our members yeah i mean i just wanted to add to that because i just i think one and a half percent is such a slap in the face to our members sort of you know like every other health discipline or healthcare worker have just spent the last 18 months working through covid and i think it's also worth noting that there is this um, I guess, broader understanding out there that it's, you know, nurses that have been doing the swabbing, nurses are doing the vaccinating um, and every other task. But we should note too that, you know, allied health professionals have been out on the COVID swabbing lines too. They've been doing the temperature checking. So they've been taking up the PPE spotter roles. They've been working in the quarantine hotels. Um, so, you know, as much as the nurses, doctors and paramedics have been on the front line of this COVID response, and to, you know, call them healthcare heroes on one hand and then turn around and offer a 1.5 wages offer is just really outrageous. So, you know, I think as Craig and Andrew said before, if you're an allied health professional in Victoria and you're not outraged, then you're not paying attention. Mm. Oh, and, and not flowing on from that, Sarah, and, you know, it goes back to the forgotten workforce again. I mean, nobody who comes into an ED, an emergency department, um, with you know respiratory issues that have to be either confirmed or denied as COVID, they they always end up having you know chest X-rays and, and CTs of their chest, um, and if they end up with COVID, they're going to end up seeing a respiratory physio. So um, you know, and we know that allied health is integral to the whole health service from the diagnostics when they're coming in, and, and you know whether it be a, they're seeing an e, um, a physio in the ED or a radiographer in the ED, and once they're in the ward, whether they're being seen by you know the allied health therapies, and then you know in terms of discharge, you know our people are um, key to that whole role, and even beyond um, the actual hospital process, you know for the rehab or when they end up coming back through outpatients, you know allied health um, you know drives all those services, and so you know we just get so frustrated and so you know outraged that the fact that they're that they just leave us out of the equation so you know we we definitely need to see our members get engaged and get involved with this this whole campaign yeah and I think on that note we should say that it's it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when we proceed to industrial action we're not we're not ready to go yet um but 
you know, it is something that members need to start thinking about in terms of what what you're prepared to do for this campaign and and time you're prepared to put in. Um, and it is something we discussed at the members meeting the other week that we're not just talking about an industrial campaign in terms of industrial action in the workplace. It is going to need to be a broader community campaign um, that it's fo- that is focused on more resourcing for public sector allied health. So there's certainly going to be a lot for members to do um, and get engaged in in the next period. And not just the members, they're going to have to get their colleagues engaged as well and, you know, and get them to join up because ultimately this, this whole campaign is resourced by the members. And so we need as many members as possible to make the campaign work and to get on board. So, you know, if you're a, a VARPA member, you need to talk to your colleagues about the campaign, uh, share the updates that come out from um, the VARPA team, but then, you know, put the ask on them in terms of, you know, are you a member? Have you joined? Why not? You know, because otherwise you're supporting them. So we definitely need to get the members um, to get their colleagues to join. Here, here. Um, and thanks uh, to both of you for your time. This will be the first of a number of podcasts that we'll do on the public sector bargaining. And of course, we'll also be doing podcasts um, for VAPA members in community health and private and wherever you are. So, Um, Keep an eye out for those. Great. Thanks, Rui. Thanks, Rui. Cheers.